one shot at a time. Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Pretty stoked to get into this one because the golf world is ablaze. There's all kinds of news surrounding the golf industry since we last talked to you on Tuesday from the USGA making major announcements about their major championships and where they're going to be held in the near future to the PGA's uh, Player of the Year announcement, to people withdrawing, people going into tournaments. Dante, we've got so much to talk about this week, man. I'm, I'm pumped to get into it. Where, where do you want to start? I don't know, man. I'll tell you what. Outside of golf, this week has just been crazy as hell. And even with like the golf stories, it's just been one thing after the other. And it just it's kind of the saying, when it rains, it pours. I aspect. feel like... From when you and I talked on Monday night, recording for Tuesday, until today, Wednesday, only 48 hours, we have had such a slew of information come out regarding where golf it might be in the future. We've had a information as far as who's playing where. We've had information drop as far as, you know, all of a sudden the tour championship is last week. And then just kind of like unceremoniously, the PGA tour is starting their 2020, 2021 season this week, you know, jumping right into it. No gap, no break, no layoff, no spring break, you know, just right into the 2020, 2021 season. You know, it's just been there. So much happened within three days. So much happened. And the craziest thing is, you have the tour championship that ended the 2020 season, yet you still have two majors to be played that go back to the 2020 season. Well, so let's get into that right off the bat. People are kind of like all up in arms. They're like, oh my God, 2020, 2021 is going to see six majors. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess it is if you start your season September 10th. So, I mean, by all means – if, if this is when the PGA Tour is saying, all right, here's our first event of the new season, then by all means, yes, we're going to see six majors in 2020, 2021. And, and I'm, I'm all for it. Um, and we've got some big news surrounding the U.S. Open too, but let's, let's drop into the Safeway right off the bat. The Safeway Open held out in Napa, California. Um, this has kind of been Brandon Steele's event over the last few years. He's won it, uh, he's won it two times and is the strokes gained leader over the past decade at this place. So if anyone is going to put some money on somebody to go out and win this event this week, it's going to be Brandon Steele. Just simply reading off the facts. But uh, yeah, I always like this event. Now, it's going to be a little different because of the fires and everything in California this week, but I always used to like this event just for the scenery used to be a beautiful introduction to the new season, you know, kind of blue skies, everything like that. But there's some eerie pictures going on out there in California right now. Yeah, the entire West Coast is orange in the sky. If I anyone, keep seeing stuff, and it's kind of like I'm double-taking, questioning as if, it, if that's real life. I mean, if, it is, if anyone follows the any tour pro that is in this event this week, they saw – not only orange skies, smoky orange skies, you know, middle of the day. We're talking like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It just looks like a marine layer, like out in, you know, just the, the Pebble Beach area just never lifted. But then someone painted it orange. You know, it's so bright, you know, deep orange. And then I, what I found fascinating and just shows you how far this stuff travels throughout the air and throughout our atmosphere, guys were finding ash 
settling on their golf balls from the time they hit their tee shots to the time they got to their next approach shot. There was actual black ash settling, just like dust, on their golf balls in like probably a, a minute to two-minute period. And I found that just astounding. Jeez, and aren't like people in like Utah and Arizona – getting the effects of the skies as well yeah and Isn't even i saw that far i saw bradley from bradley putters showing that like yeah. it was kind of closing in on his neck of the woods and he's up in like northern oregon too and mckenzie bags they're out in portland oregon they were seeing orange skies today too so it was one of those things where like my lord like just all prayers out to people out there in the west coast right now that there's so many people that whether we're directly seeing the effects of it or not are getting evacuated from their towns, from their communities, from their homes. And, and, you know, most likely going back to see nothing but just completely burnt ground. So um, the Safeway Open, I, you know, how do you even get into it once you talk about a scenario like that? But I just, I just hope that we see golf this week in a, in a scenario where we don't have to see that get canceled too. Is that selfish of me? I want to see golf on the weekend. <laughs> I know as golf fans, you want to continue that thing going, but at the same time, it's, you know, you're worried about the the safety of others out in, you know, California as things are just lighting up in smoke and you just hope that nothing too serious happens, even though it's like such a serious thing, but it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I need that kind of, it's, it's hard to say too, because you want that escape from God or escape from reality. And, mm -hmm. you know, you want to be able to turn into something new because let's face it, the, the news just hasn't been the best mm -hmm. for a while right now. And it's like, you know, what, where do I go to kind of escape that, all that negativity and kind of get myself into this better mental state. And for us, that's to watch golf. So I, I completely agree with you right there is just trying to get, you know, we hope to see another tournament played during the week. Well, and I mean, you know, my stance on everything in life currently, but does it, I mean, as you see all these folks on the range wearing masks and players wearing masks, do you almost say, well, like, thank God that they're wearing masks because they would probably be wearing masks anyway in this scenario with all these wildfires to not breathe in this ash, to not breathe in this kind of, you know, smoke smog and everything that's coming around from these fires. So, I mean, it's just one of those things, man, where in a million years, could you dream up a scenario in what we've got going on right now? And then this happens and you got professional golf playing in one of the most, almost, I think, apoc apocalyptical style, you know, scenarios right now. And it's just, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch is, is it going to show up on TV how we're seeing it show up in pictures right now, because that might be something that you like sit down and you almost have to watch it's like a car accident. Like it's so bad. You can't pull your eyes off of it. And it's going to be one of those scenarios where I think people are going to talk about it. Like, did you see this event that went down during the California wildfires and what happened? So for the unfortunate like scenario of this is going on while that's going on, I think we're going to, we're going to remember this place in time of just, you know, where were you when the Safeway Open played in these crazy California wildfires? Yeah, couldn't agree there. It's just, it's just mind blowing, man. I mean, it's it's crazy to see what's going on, and it's 
I mean, yeah. But, I mean, imagine turning on the TV and watching some guy try to pipe drive 320 down the middle of the fairway and the backdrop is <laughs> orange. Yeah. It's, just, it was, it's, it's skies you've never seen before. Plain no. and simple. Like, you, you can't recreate this in your wildest dreams. And I'm interested to see how the folks uh, cover it this weekend. And, you know, I mean, with that being said, you've got Phil Mickelson coming off a PGA Tour Champions win. He'll be in the field. You've got a guy who we've never – heard of i feel like in the past two years sergio garcia is finally back to playing on the pga tour again so that right there with just sergio's participants kind of tells me that these european guys are finally feeling comfortable with some of the covid travel again and are making the trap the trip across the pond saying hey you know what it's worth it for us to come back to the pga and start playing in events again because you know when when covid was really kind of just in its worst form, we saw a lot of those guys go back home, go back across the pond and say, you know what, we'll just play in a European tour. Um, yeah. So so seeing Sergio in the field and seeing a couple other Europeans, uh, Sibu Kim's back in the field too. It, seeing a couple of those guys that most mostly weren't traveling during the worst of it gives us, I feel like, a glimpse of hope, saying, you know what, we're going to get back to seeing a typical field with, you know, a lot of Europeans, a lot of, you know, the, the Ireland participation, Shane Lowry, Roy McIlroy has been traveling, but he has his home in Jupiter now. So he's not really, you know, the Ireland guy much anymore, but you're starting to see that kind of, you know, international play come back into the, the PGA tour. Yeah. And it's good to see those guys and see those familiar faces come back because these guys are just outstanding players and they bring a new life to the game too. And they bring their type of skill sets from playing all those more like links courses out in the UK and whatnot and whatever courses are playing in, mm-hmm. you know, the, in Spain and in Ireland. And, you know, it's, a, it, they have a different set of game and it's, and it's cool to see them mix it up with the guys from the United States because it's two different levels of golf. And when you throw that in the mix, uh, who knows who's going to win. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to kind of add in here is usually you know, and I, I wish we had Isaiah because he would know the kind of cuts of how this uh, corn fairy action worked with the PGA Tour. But typically, this is the week we'd see all those new 25 recently graduated top 25 corn fairy players make their debut on tour. Now, with the COVID 19 season being as weird as it was, everything kind of getting jumbled around, we aren't seeing those guys on tour just yet. Because, not because of they're not the top 25, because the top 25 have been solidified. The, the, the Corn Ferry just ended this past week. But what happened was because the PGA made some special exemptions for guys to keep their card who otherwise would have lost it, you're not seeing that extended field because of those guys that got to keep their card due to Corn Ferry and, or I mean, I'm sorry, due to COVID-19 kind of regulations and stipulations. So I'm not exactly sure when those newly graduated Corn Ferry guys are going to get their debut, but it seems to be a little delayed as far as, you know, guys who got to keep their card and didn't lose it to make room for those top 25 yeah it seems like it's like in the work for in the workforce where most people got furloughed it's like the pga furlough where it says you know what we're just gonna put your your job on hold for now when you can come back and then we'll reevaluate from there well it makes me have an interesting conversation i think of how do those guys make money 
Like, are they are they still playing Corn Fairy events then, and just already considered top twenty five, and their points don't count, or are they getting exemptions somewhere else? Are they getting like where where do they fall in? Because at the end of the day, this is their day job. This is their nine to five, quote unquote. This is their this is their lifeline. So if they aren't playing just yet, where do they fall into the scenario to get their shot at not only playing and making money, but starting to accumulate points, starting to accumulate, you know, that, that lifeline per se of, of getting enough winnings to, to stay on tour. Cause that's what it all boils down to is having enough money in the bank to stay on tour. Um, where does that start? Because I'm very interested to see how that affects some of these guys that maybe, you know, earn their right to graduate the corn Ferry tour and come up to the PGA. How, how will that affect them long-term to say, all right, well, you've got your PGA card now for good, or you've got it and you're going back to the corn Ferry next year. Where, where, where might that play out due to these COVID-19 restrictions? That's a great question. I, Knowing the way things have been, I can see them kind of giving them a little bit of an extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who knows? I mean, these guys were on such a break, and some of them might have to put their career on hold because they didn't have enough money to kind of keep themselves afloat for a duration of time, not oh, knowing for sure. when, they, when they were ever going back. So what do they do? Do they do they uh, just, I don't know, go go to the savings account, see what they have, and just kind of – see if they can budget from there so they can continue the grind to take their passion and make it a career. Like this is what they believe that they are meant to be, uh, be doing, or do they, you know, put the, put the professional life on side aside and go get some type of jobs just so they can put food on the table for, for themselves oh, for sure. or maybe even the family. Oh, that and they it's have. one of those questions too, where you always look back on it and say like, how much money, are these corn fairy guys making like truly like, obviously it's the sub tour. It's a step below the rest. Um, and, and I think you'll be surprised. You think there's a ton of money in golf and now granted, this ain't a bad year by any means. So we were talking, we were just talking about the top 25, the 25th player on the money list this year from the corn fairy tour, Robert Diaz, he made $144,850 this year. Not a bad day at the office when you're playing golf for a living, right? No, that's a, that's a very good paycheck for, you know, some higher up mid-level to high level nine to five jobs. I mean, that can get Absolutely. you, that can get you for a while, but that can all disappear real quick when it comes to all the other expenses that these players have to sure. go to travel um, hotel stays, tournament fees, because most of these guys, they may be spots, may have some club deals, but they're these, I don't think these manufacturers are paying their tournament fees. I know they're not. You know what I mean? So, and it's one of those things too, where you think, well, insane. you know, if you win, you're paying a caddy, you're probably playing a, you know, if you're on a professional tour, you're paying, you're paying a strength and conditioning coach. You're paying probably a coach per se, swing coach to get you through this, whether it's swing and then maybe a putting coach, maybe whatever, you know, but I do want to jump up to number nine on the list. Uh, Cause we, I, I feel like through the grapevine through the, he said, he said, she said of who we know and, and, you know, the, the business we're in um, Grayson Sig sit number nine on the money list. He made about $198,968. Now 
why Grayson Sig sticks out at number nine? Because of the caddy who's on the bag for him. We've had the caddy on the show. Colton Heisey. We've had him on the show from York, Pennsylvania. He is a caddy on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour. He's kind of gone back and forth. Caddy for the likes of Doc Redman, Grayson Sig, uh, Dan McCarthy. He's caddy for a lot of really good players that are out there and making their you know, name for themselves. But Grayson Sig getting in the top 10 obviously is going to make that jump from the Corn Ferry to the PGA Tour. So now I'm saying we know, we've had a PGA Tour caddy in the works on the show, which is pretty neat to, to kind of think about. But in the same realm, I'm interested, and maybe we can get Colton and maybe Grayson back on the show too, to say, what's the outlook look like? Like, when are you going to play next? Like, when, when does your PGA Tour, P, PGA Tour card come in the mail and say, here's your exemptions, here's where you can start playing? Because by the sounds of the way the Safeway is running it, they aren't in the Safeway. And I'm not sure when that, you know, provisions are going to kick in for them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when do their PGA, like, you know, I guess regulations and, and perks start kicking in? When does that become full-fledged for them? I think – I honestly think it will be 2021. Yeah, but it's only September. What do they do for the rest uh, of the year? I don't know. That's, that's a phenomenal question that I think we just uh, – we got to figure out. We just simply have to figure out. And if any of our listeners know that answer that maybe is above our pay grade at this point in time, let us know. Go to at Enjoy the Walk Pod on Instagram or Twitter. We'll kind of we'll put it out there. See what you guys think. Uh, you know, see what you guys maybe know that we don't. Um, and if you do, and we don't put it out there in time, but you hear it and just let us know. Like I said, at Enjoy the Walk Pod, Instagram and Twitter. Hit us up in the DMs. Let us know. Uh, let us know your thoughts and let us know the information that you know. And uh, we can maybe even have you on the pod to discuss this kind of weird layover period between this COVID nineteen, like I think extension you could call it, where some of the pros on the PGA Tour are getting a little more time to make some money before maybe they get the boot. And these corn ferry, the corn ferry tour season's over. So what are they doing until they get a full pass at the PGA tour? That is, that's a mystery. And hopefully they can get on tour faster than my assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that would suck for them to try and. Yeah. That if, could, these, if these I guys got to wait until 2021, that seems like a worst case scenario. That's just not yeah. good for anybody in the golf world. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. I would say give it a couple months. Hopefully things kind of die down here. Yep. And then maybe start seeing things pick up again. But so we were talking money list, right? So we were talking money list yeah. on the Corn Ferry Tour. Number one on the money list, Will Zelatoris, $358,978. I want to get into, because golf.com put this awesome piece together, and I want to get into, so he made three hundred. And $58,000, just about $359,000. They put out there, they said, if a golfer makes the cut and finishes last place at every PGA Tour event during the season, every event they finish last place, but they make the cut. So they're at least making some sort of money, right? How much money would they have earned? I think I saw that. It was like $350,000. $392,415. So you finish last place. You got to make the cut. Now, granted, you got to make the weekend. So you can't play like 
utter shit. You got to yeah. play at least <laughs> – you got to make the cut, right? Make the weekend. Yeah, make the weekend. You made $392,415. Now, me being a curious Joe that I am, scrolled in the comments a little bit. Someone, someone down, the, down the line said, yeah, but would he keep his tour card? Great question, right? So you made – you made close to $400,000. Would you keep your tour card? I think they'll boot you. Gone. The answer is you're gone. Bo Hostler was the perfect example of this this year. He was on the number at 125. So the top 125 keep their car guaranteed, right? He was on the number at 125 right until the last event. And then he dropped to 126. He made... Now, catch this. He made $658,000 and was 126 on the money list and didn't keep his card. $658,000 and he did not keep his card on the money list for 2019-2020 season. Uh, I don't know, man. It, it's tough at the PGA, too, and – statuses and whatnot because at the end of the day it's an entertainment business as well they the pga is here to entertain mm -hmm. the consumers the viewers and whatnot so i mean if you guy if you got a guy going out there and just playing mediocre i mean that's not going to drive ratings so if they can probably however this money list and the standings work if you can get someone else in there to kind of boost those ratings that person is going to take the spot unfortunately yeah i mean i'll and i'll be honest here i think now granted there are some phenomenal players bo hosser is one of them that i think it's unfortunate to see him get the boot and i think he'll work hard he'll grind at it he'll get back um but i think what it does do is keep that revolving door for the pga tour it allows some phenomenal players, and we, we, we talk about momentum all the time, right? It allows these players that come off the Corn Ferry Tour and are hot, right? Top 25, you're winning some tournaments. Corn Ferry Tour is usually set up to go really freaking low. So these guys are making a ton of birdies. That's what the people want to watch. People want to tune in to see birdies. They want to see eagles. They want to see guys hunting the pin. Well, that keeps that revolving door for these guys that are coming up. Hopefully next year when the Canadian tour starts back up again, the European tour guys coming over and the corn fairy tour, it keeps this revolving door of all these fresh faces being able to come in. So it's cutthroat. Yes. But I think it's necessary for the PGA tour to keep that highlight reel going of just fresh young talent that's coming through. That, and I would think the PGA Tour probably has a standard of what they want these guys to play. So if you're not doing your job, guess what? You're going to lose your job. It's just like the workforce. If you're not if you're coming <laughs> yeah. in and you're not doing your job, they're going to can you. They're not just going to be like, well, eh. Okay. Try again next year. Yeah, maybe. No. Maybe. <laughs> no, you don't. If you don't come out and perform like you're supposed to, you're going to get cut. You're done. That's the way it should be. Any any great business, any 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 top, you know, radio show, anything, any any realm of business will tell you the same thing. If you're not doing top notch, I don't want you. So at the end of the day, while it sucks and 
guys that are 125, 126, 127 can cry why me, but play better. Dare I say play better? <laughs> I mean, and you know these guys are sick of golf anyway. They're just outstanding players. It's just maybe a couple of things didn't go their way or, you know, just a little bit too much inconsistency. But, it, but again, it goes back, you're still going to have to play better because your competition – I don't know what you're doing, but mm-hmm. right now, currently where you stand, your competition above you is outperforming you and outworking you. So there's only one way to do that. Get better. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, and, and kind of rolling the, rolling the pendulum on this one and, and talking to people who haven't really been playing that great lately. Um, Brooks Kepka, he missed the tour championship. Uh, so right there, you know, obviously out, he wasn't even close to the top 30. I think he was like, he, he was, he was lucky to get into the BMW, I believe. Um, and then, you know, we see him miss the tour championship. And I think this is missing the tour championship was a little foreshadowing into the decision we saw from him coming yesterday. He decided to withdraw from the U S open at Wingfoot. Now as back-to-back champion, 2018 or 2017 2018 and then coming in 2019 finishing second behind gary woodland out at pebble beach you got to think he, he's not just a contender he's a favorite going into another u.s open because of how long he hits the ball and just because of how powerful he is and the way the u.s opens usually set up high rough long courses he he fits the bill of a u.s open champion so to hear him say, hey, my knee is actually that bad that I need to withdraw, um, I, I felt like it sent some shockwaves. It, people weren't expecting it, but I think it was overdue. I feel like almost because of the way the schedule set up this year, he had a touch a little bit of time to rehab that knee over COVID, but it just wasn't long enough. And he got back in the swing of things week after week after week after week with this, with this COVID schedule being 14 straight weeks of golf that it put too much of a toll on him. And, and I'm interested to hear, do you think it's truly the knee or is there something far more behind that than what Brooks Kepka's letting on? I don't know. Knees are not something to mess with. So it could definitely be the knee, especially when, is it his left knee or is it right knee? I don't remember. Your guess is good like, as mine. I mean, as a righty, if it's his left left knee, I mean the way it's opening, the way the, the left foot's constantly planted, and the way like I guess you turn your body, the way that left knee kind of just opens up isn't necessarily the best. So yeah, it could be the knee. But then again, I don't know. Maybe as a lot of people are saying, karma's a bitch. <laughs> I mean, you're calling out your best friend that you then said is not your best friend anymore. And he's just like a nobody on tour is out there winning in three tournaments, $18.7 million. I don't know, man. It, it, it's just kind of, it's just weird to see I what's mean, going on. You have to respect golf Twitter. You have to respect the comment section and Instagram. <laughs> and you got to see these comments folks for people who are not tuned into that platform Folks just nonstop are saying he doesn't want the DJ heat. He knows DJ's got too much for him. So it's one of those things where, you know, when, when, you, when you fire up the, the stove, per se, 
and you talk all this shit and then you you step back and say well well all of a sudden uh i I just don't know like it brings skeptics into question no doubt yeah you're always going to question something's going on but behind the scenes that we don't know but i i don't know man it's kind of weird but then again it's like tiger in his back like a back something you don't want to mess with and jump right into it and same with the knee i mean look at all these other athletes out there in different sports where they tear like their acl how long of a process it takes for mm-hmm. them to get back to like full health to play again and then it takes them even longer to to get there to get to where they once were i mean it's very ra- rare that unless you're adrian peterson where you can just go out and just play <laughs> like you did in the your rookie year but I mean, look at like someone like Derrick Rose. I think it, it took uh-huh. it took him years for him to even get back to his like playing ability. Yeah, and I think he even like had to change his style of game, just the way his certain movements were, just so it took less pressure off of the knees because of, he tore both of them. I mean, he huh. tore one, agree, one year, man. came back and tore the other one. So it, it's. It's very difficult to judge, but then again, you like to jump to the gossip because you're like, that's that's always fun uh, <laughs> to kind of yep. con- conspire against these tour players and see what the hell is going on and make make up stories. Uh, but I mean, it could be true. Who knows? I it, well, it's interesting to see. And and you know, I always look at it this way too. If you're a guy, especially in his shoes, you're a four-time yeah. major champ now, right? Why would you, if you seriously do have something going on, why would you risk the further damage on a ligament, especially a knee that is so vital? It's not like he's got like a wrist injury or something that can just be over time, you know, healed or something. Like, I feel like your knee especially is so vital to just everyday life, not even just the golf course, but like everyday life. Why would you risk the further damage in causing something that might need, you know, serious, like actual legitimate medical, like attention, like a surgery or something like that. If you could prevent that, why would you push it? And I feel like the people at home don't ever really truly understand that because they're not competing on a daily day-to-day basis. But when you get to that point where it's like, Hey, I could go out there next week and if I make a wrong step on a bad patch of grass or something, or if, you know, my knee goes the wrong way and it's not supposed to, I could be talking some serious damage that then all of a sudden and taking, instead of taking four weeks off, I'm talking about four months, six months off. Why wouldn't you take those preventative measures? Yeah. I mean, listen, he's going to be playing in a lot more U.S. Opens down the road. It's not like... Yeah, I guess you could say Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods where, you know, they're a little bit older and their career's kind of on the tail end of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's in his 30s. I mean, that's – Yeah. You're not even – I mean, you have so much more life to go. And with golf, you have at least 20 more solid years of playing pretty strong competitive golf. Mm-hmm. So – well, and you know, speaking of that kind of like extra 20 years of golf left and, and still a huge career in front of him, another guy that we saw withdraw from the U.S. Open who I really want to get into because I think he was an icon 
uh, within major championships for about three or four years until Tiger just dusted his ass at, uh, at uh, this place called Augusta. You might have heard it. You might have not have. Um, Francesco Molinari. Francesco Molinari, um, I feel like unceremoniously also withdrew um, due to what he called a, a new chapter in his life in which he's still um, like in the process of. So he moved, if, you, if, if people aren't aware of, he moved to London um, from his home you know, of Italy about 10 years ago. He was a resident of uh, London. He was a resident of the UK for a decade, a good decade. And then right, right as this COVID stuff hit, like legitimately as this COVID stuff hit, he moved to California. So he moved to the United States in the midst of a global pandemic. I can't imagine that being easy. I can't imagine that being anything that was like, you know, smooth. That definitely didn't go smooth. Um, so he's basically citing just, uh, just a crazy life scenario right now in which he says he's not mentally prepared to play in the U.S. Open, um, which with all due respect, if you're moving from one country to the other, I almost respect that more than I respect Brooks's withdrawal of a, of a knee injury. I don't know. What, what's your two cents on, on uh, Chico, on, uh, on Francesco Molinari pulling out of the U.S. Open because of family matters? I mean – Moving from a different state to in the United States to another state is, yeah, you know, you got new area, new people to meet and whatnot. I mean, moving from one country to another is a lot more. I mean, you have to adapt to a completely different lifestyle than what you were living for, for living from and in for the past 10 years. And not only him, he's got kids too. He's got multiple kids. That's got to be tough too. I mean, you're, I mean, I don't, I've never been over there. I've never been to London. I don't, I don't know what their type of pace is. I don't know really kind of like the, the personalities that are there and kind of like, I mean, you look at something like New York, New uh-huh. York city, it's like, go, 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 go. They're moving <laughs> at a mile a minute. And even I think California, like the LA area, they're just moving thousand a mile a minute. And then kind of, as you move more towards like the central of the United States and maybe go a little bit South, it, it tends to slow up. So, I mean, there's different types of lifestyles that we may not even be used to from where we're at in our locations. If we were to just jump ship and go to a different state, let alone a different country. I mean, that's a whole, I mean, you're learning a whole new different government system and whatnot. Like it's a lot. So I can understand. And uh, let's not talk, let's talk about the, uh, (laughs) fact that COVID hit let's move to a completely new country to where then you can't do anything so you can't can you imagine can you imagine having like free reign over the 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 complete city that you're in in a different country switching citizenships because that's what you got to do to move a new country you got to switch citizenships get everything figured out and move to california and then immediately upon moving to california nothing works literally nothing and then all of a sudden you're like well maybe and i'm guessing this is just a guess i don't know the the intangibles on this on this scenario but i'm guessing he moved to a pretty private community of golf you know heaven i'm guessing he was still able to play a little bit of golf maybe i don't know it was california everything was shut down who the hell knows but it's one of those things where like I, i i feel for the man and he, he was a guy that in late 2019, 
he got off contending for a British, a British major. He, he, he contended at the Open Championship heavily. He beat Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was, you know, in grasp of that Open Championship and then beat him. And then he comes in to the U.S. Opens, top fives. PGA Championship, top fives. Comes into the Masters in the spring game. Contends down the stretch until he hits that ball in Ray's Creek. And then he hits a tree on the next par five and just like completely combusts. And since that day, I feel like we haven't heard much out of him. But when you look behind the scenes then and say, well, he was dealing with moving from the UK to the United States, moving into, you know, moving his entire family out of his homestead for the last decade and moving into a new world, pretty much. Um, you got you to gotta almost say, you know, you tip your cap a little and say, all right, well, it wasn't the easiest of scenarios to, to still continue to be at the top elite form that you're at. And, and I think if you look at it here over the next two to, two to four years, I think you're going to see him find his groove again, get back in his own here in California, and really start playing really good golf again. I, I, I don't think we've heard the last out of Francesco Molinari. I don't, I don't think so either, and I agree with you on that one. Things are going to – I think he just needs to kind of get – get his feet back in the water kind of thing. I mean, he just needs to go out and play and kind of just get a feel and get a groove and get a routine back into things. I mean, he was probably finding a routine on how to live in the United States. So that probably took um, a bigger priority than playing golf. So, I mean, Hey, if I'm about to go contend in a, a, a major tournament after really not playing much and trying to learn a new system and, new citizenship i'd probably back out myself if i'm not if i'm playing like ass i mean i don't know how he's been playing but if he got to be able to play at all i don't want to go make a fool out of myself in it well i think i think too, you look at these guys and how much time they spend how much money they spend on getting prepared for four events a year pretty much tiger has taken a complete like tiger took the industry tiger took the game and said listen all that matters is majors. Simple as that. So when you look at a major and you say, well, how did the other professionals view it? They view it as the number one, two, three, four event of the year. That's their goal. And if they can't approach that from a side of, hey, does my swing coach think I'm ready? Does my mental coach think I'm ready? Does my strength and conditioning coach think I'm ready? Do I think I'm ready? Like mm -hmm. there's so many variables that go into that. And if one of those checks the no box – then why would you even go at the end of the day? You know what I'm saying? Like these guys are so fine tuned that if you check a no in any one of those boxes, it just, it doesn't make it worth it. No, sir. So yeah, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, with Brooks out with Molinari out. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know who's the favorite going into it. Do you say DJ is just that top notch right now that his a game is better than anybody else's a game in the world right now? I think you can make a case for it. I think so too. He's definitely one of the contenders, but then again, it is a U.S. open. So anything can happen. U.S. I open mean, courses have been renowned to punish the best golfers in the world. So it'll be one of those things where I think it'll be a crapshoot. So guys are going to have to bring their A game, and distance doesn't mean everything with DJ. He's going to have to hit good, good, good tee shots to make it I happen. Mean, Wingfoot's 
Wingfoot's going to be tight. It's going to be narrow, and it's going to be really long, rough. That and the greens are ridiculously fast. I mean, I've seen videos of guys chipping on the greens, and it, <laughs> I mean, the, the it just rolls off the other side after it landed softly. So it's going to be interesting. The, the wedge game is going to come into play big time. I mean, and we always talk about it too. The U.S. Open is consistently the one time a year where we get to see all kinds of carnage. So it, if it doesn't happen, I'd be disappointed, as will, I think, the rest of the golf world. I want to see carnage. Give me one week a year where we just see no one break par and it absolutely just be hell for these guys. That's what I want to tune into. That's what I want to watch because it's funny. makes me feel a little better about my game. Yeah, and I just <laughs> want to see maybe – six or seven guys all in reach. I don't want to see a blowout. It's always fun when you see one guy saying he's two under and then the next three guys are one under behind him and he bogeys the hole and one person birdies and it just... The fact that we can get a championship, especially the U.S. Open, because we see it all the time, that with one swing of the club, you go from first to fifth. If you make like a double, all of a sudden there's eight guys, like one or two strokes within. That's what I want to watch that's the championship that I like to see. Yeah. Can't couldn't agree more. So speaking of watching championships, we got some pretty, I don't know. I don't know. You call it awesome news or you can call it indifferent news, depending on what you like to watch, depending on what kind of a golf fan you are, how, how you like the sacredness of the masters CBS revealed its 2020 masters broadcast broadcast plan. So on the Saturday of the masters, you're going to get the third round ending right around 5.30. Typically, that would end around like 7.30 in the evening. Um, but that's going to lead right into the LSU-Alabama college football game. Yes, the SEC is still playing football. As a Penn State fan, the Big Ten's not playing football. I'm pretty pissed about it, but that's another day for another conversation. And then on Sunday, you're going to get the final round ending between 2 and 2.45 Eastern Standard Time prior to all of the NFL football games. Now, Dante, you and I talked about this before we got on air, and I think I think this is a change to groom us in to always having the Masters end early because of the viewership they got when, when rainstorms were threatening the last round of the Masters last year. And Tiger Woods came from behind and won the Masters in 2019. In the early afternoon, they started tee times as soon as they could down in Augusta, Georgia last year. And they probably had the highest viewership at all possible. And I'm going to be honest. If I can get up, make a cup of coffee, make some eggs, make some pancakes, and watch the Masters, describe to me a better Sunday because I don't think you can. <laughs> Little uh, golf and breakfast action absolutely you uh, want your eggs scrambled or you want them dippy because that's how i'm serving masters this year there you go no it's uh i like it and it it's crazy how you're saying about the the viewership and the ratings from last year because i think everybody can remember as a big golf fan <laughs> where they were when tiger woods won the 2019 masters i mean i was out there yeah i was coming up on the 16th hole and i knew something was great was about to happen. I knew Tiger Woods was going to to finish and win because I was walking up the group in front of us. They just all stopped and they all pulled out their phones and they were just standing by the carts or whatnot and just watched him drain that putt. 
So everybody knew, you know, history was made. And it's crazy to think because we have a lot of guys that like to play during the, <laughs> during the, the hours that the tournament was actually being played. So for you to tell me that the viewership and like the ratings were high during that time just goes, says a lot about even as a golf fan and a, and a person who loves to play golf, that people were still watching it while they were out and or if they just decided to stay home that day dude i'll never forget it and you just described your tiger woods winning winning the 19th uh, or the 2019 masters i'm gonna tell you mine i had just had in the spring in the spring you know crazy enough a spring masters believe that right um i was making cornhole boards in a garage of my ex-girlfriends actually and uh she had a tv in the garage and, and it was on she didn't get golf one bit uh, probably why it didn't work out. And, uh, so she was out like sun tanning or whatever. And I was literally watching him walk up like the last, you know, the last hole he had chipped up from like 80 yards or whatever, put it to within distance. I knew all he had to do was two putt. And as he walked up to the green, I was crying and she stuck her head in and she goes, are you crying? And I said, yeah, I just talked to my dad and he's crying too. And Tiger's winning the 19th or the 2019 Masters. I, like, couldn't keep it together. It was insane. And, like, I think you're so right. Everyone will remember where they were when Tiger Woods won it. And I think it had an insane impact on their decision to, to move everything up again this year. I think not only did they think Tiger Woods had an impact, but I think they, had, they think the timing of the tee times had an impact as well. I mean, the golf world literally stopped at, during that moment. Like everybody just stopped what they were doing mm -hmm. and just watched greatness happen. I mean, one of the biggest comeback histories in, in golf and in sports, but they go back to the, to the viewership. I don't understand why every pro tournament does that. Like why do they have to wait till two thirty tee off time? And then these guys play like five, six hour rounds and now they're fighting the clock the finish mm -hmm. and then the announcers are always complaining about oh man there's gonna be a monday finish this and that and then we're gonna have to like switch everything up yo sunday tournaments why don't you just put them late morning and they'll finish so if they go in the extra holes you don't have to worry about anything yeah. it just it blows my mind on that well, aspect and here's the thing too like you and i avid golf watchers tune in to pga tour live we have the pga tour live app right and then so there's this weird layover between the PGA Tour Live app and the actual NBC or CBS coverage. We can't get golf from like 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 3 o'clock. Meanwhile, for two hours, there's a full field out on the golf course. And I mean, we have no coverage of it. We have no coverage of it for yeah. no reason. Because there's nothing on on Sunday afternoons from 1 to 3 o'clock. I'm sorry, but there's not. And these guys are probably starting even earlier, too, if it's a bigger field. And they're done before coverage even starts. They finish their round. Makes no sense. It, it just why makes golf sense. I don't waits, understand. Why golf waits to televise the last two or three groups going off the first tee amazes me. I mean, it's like the it, they, they literally focus in on three groups. And now, granted, I understand. History repeats itself. Most of the winners don't come out of the last three or four groups. I get that. But that doesn't mean I still don't want to watch really freaking good golf. 
all these guys out there on a Sunday afternoon are playing phenomenal golf. They're not shooting 85s. Most of the guys out there are shooting 70s to 63s. I mean, shit. That's what I want to watch. Yeah. I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, just because the guy's out of the tournament doesn't mean he's going to come out and shoot a, a low 60s round. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got guys who are they're, – they're not even making top 25 after they finish – that Sunday round and they go out and shoot a 59. I mean, it happens. It That's golf. I mean, you have a couple bad rounds that just don't put you in contention, but you can still go out and have a great round. Yeah. And why not capture that on video? It, it, it has always amazed me why we just, we miss out on so much coverage all weekend long, not just Sundays, Saturdays too. We miss out on so much coverage of golf and it's just, it's a shame to the game. Honestly, I think it is. Um, but I'll tell you what isn't a shame in the game. We're talking about majors. We were talking about the future of the game, why we think we're going to see more of it this, that, or the other. USGA came out with a pretty nifty little partnership, I would say. I'm not even going to call it an agreement because I think it's a partnership, and, I, and I'm, I'll give you a little backing as to why I think it's more than just an agreement. They made, USGA announced the U.S. Open will visit Pinehurst in 2024. 2029, 2035, 2041, and 2047. Now, that's over 30 years of majors. And not just majors, U.S. Opens at Pinehurst specifically. Now, this is part of the U.S. Opens and the USGA's initiative to have what they call a, a initiative toward bringing golf into anchor hosting sites. So Pinehurst being one of them, they want golf to make more frequent visits at the, I guess you could call it staples in American golf. And I think when you talk about staples of American golf, Pinehurst becomes your number one conversation piece most of the time. And if Pinehurst isn't it, Pebble Beach has got to be the second. When you think of staples in American golf, so really, really neat to see them pen this agreement between uh, between the USGA and Pinehurst. And the other cool thing, which I wanted to kind of note here, was they didn't just bring major champions to it. They're bringing the actual governing body operations and close to a half dozen other championships to the North Carolina region. So not just, like, not just U.S. Opens. They're bringing U.S. Ams, U.S. Mid-Ams, U.S. Women's Ams, U.S. Senior Ams, U.S. Four Balls. They're bringing them all to Pinehurst within the next decade which I think is phenomenal. Um, and it's just, it's just one of those things where like, I feel like you and I have seen it from a social media side of things. Pinehurst, especially in the COVID times, took a forefront in the golf industry. Yeah, and I think they can probably thank code for the push for this uh, possible future for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Carolinas is just a hotbed for golf anyway. Mm-hmm. And then with having Pinehurst there with, up to 10 11 courses on the property what's better than than say you know what we're gonna make this the home of golf for the united states and on the across the pond on our side of things yeah i mean you have yeah the original home of golf st andrews scotland all the courses around there right they do everything there they got multiple stuff going down on that side of things well why not have one on our side of things and what better place to do it at than Pinehurst. Yep. 
and and I tell you what though, they they're they're not like they specifically said that we are bringing not only golf to Pinehurst, but we are bringing the headquarters. So they're actually moving what they call HQ2. They're moving headquarters number two to Pinehurst. So they're not only bringing with them the USGA headquarters, they're setting up sort of a golf archive, a golf museum of the USGA in the Pinehurst area, which I think will be awesome, set to complete in 2022. So like two years from now. But I think when you talk about homes of golf, Obviously, we always talk Scotland. We talk the number one home of golf. But I think, and especially over the next 20 years, you're going to see Pinehurst become America's home of golf. You're going to see Pinehurst become the A1 set piece for any videos, any tourism attractions to when you say, hey, you're an American. What's your American piece in the golf history books. You're going to say Pinehurst, plain and simple. And I think USGA did a really, really good job of bringing themselves into that picture. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I think, and this is just my personal, like kind of observation of everything. You're not only going to see major championships held there, you're going to start to see U.S. kids events held there. You're going to see AJGA events held there. You're going to see any, any form of competitive golf. I mean, we're seeing it already in the Barstool Classic. You're going to see any form of competitive golf at the highest of ranks make its way to a Pinehurst course. Yeah. Couldn't agree more because they can also – house the people there too because all the property they have i mean it's just it's the perfect spot and i i mean unless you just build one from ground up which will probably take years for you to do mm. i don't think you're going to be able to compete with pinehurst pinehurst is going to be america's home of golf i mean and when you talk about you just you hit the nail on the head there with the time it takes to build something like this right so you had you had corin crenshaw come in and do the redesign to number two, number eight, number four. Um, they did the redesign. But when you look back at just the overall history and how long Pinehurst has been in the North Carolina area, it starts to speak about like why it deserves the place and time that it's having right now. It's been, a, it's been around for generations. I mean, and, and it's just like, it's one of those things where if you look at it and say, what other golf course in the United States truly has the resounding, I guess you could say resume that Pinehurst has. When you look at not only players that have won championships there, you know, you talk about Martin Keimer, you talk about Payne Stewart, you talk about, you know, core Crenshaw, Ben Crenshaw, that just, did, just did the redesign for, you know, for some of the legends in the game. You just think like, what other course has that resume and and it, it becomes a short list very quick, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't compete with that. Good luck. No, absolutely. Um and it's one of those things too where I think in the long term, um, where I only see and I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I just I just described for like ten minutes on why I think it's the best move in the world. One statement the USGA made, um that they thought their fans and the players want to see fewer sites more often. I think that's a bad move. 
I don't want to see the U.S. Open go from all these really cool courses like we just started seeing. We just started seeing U.S. Opens at Aaron Hills, Chambers Bay, you know, of the likes of like these really new and innovative courses. I don't want to see the USGA backtrack and say, all right, we, while well, our fans say and our players say we want to see fewer venues, so we're going to go to the Pinehurst. We're going to go to the Pebble Beach. We're going to go to Marion. We're going to go to maybe a list of like 10 courses, and that's all we're going to go to. I don't want to see that happen either because I enjoy seeing new properties pop up and get the status of U.S. Open worthy. Yeah, you mean like like a five-course rotation for the yeah, U.S. Open? Is that what you're it, saying? It seems like that's what they're going towards. It seems uh, like the way they were describing their move to Pinehurst was all because that we listened their, – their quote, we really took our cues from the players and fans who said fewer places more frequently. And I don't, I, I don't like that quote. I don't like it one bit. Because I want to see new courses be in the conversation for U.S. Open venues. I understand the history of places. I understand what has gone down in the past. But at the end of the day, if we're designing new golf courses or new golf courses get redesigned and get in that conversation, I want to see them have a chance at hosting a U.S. Open because I want to see new courses get their day. I don't think five golf courses in the entire United States deserve to just have one rotation. Yeah, that's not necessarily growing the game in my my eyesight on a course uh, course level aspect. I mean, look at kind of how Janella promotes um, Bandon Dunes. I mean, you mm -hmm. wouldn't have known about that. And you look at what it's going to get after ha holding the U.S. Amateur. Oh, and I was going to say, I thank you, Lord, that you just – brought that up in conversation because I think getting Bandon dudes in the conversation with the USAM just exploded it. We'll see a U.S. Open there. There's no doubt in my mind. No we doubt. will so, see a U.S. Open so there. So stuff like that opens up a course for you to allow and possibly open more opportunity for different courses to host these type of events mm -hmm. in which you probably never thought they could, but now you are realizing like, actually, you know, you know what? We can. And there's probably so many courses out there that can host these type of events, but then it comes down to, is there enough space for the patrons or, and, and the people trying to view, because at the end of the day, it's a business, more, more property and more space to pack people in mm -hmm. generates more revenue. So, or do we want to see some, do we really want to see these professional golfers truly tested because I bet you there's courses out there that can be set up for U.S. Open-like conditions and really destroy the players. But they can't – they don't have any room to host any. Well, and it's like we talked about uh, way back, season one. Um, we talked about – we talked to Andrew Milinarski from uh, Callaway Golf, and he talked about just the infrastructure. They build cities on these U.S. Open, you know, courses. And, and it's one of those things where, like you, like you just put out perfectly, I think, it, it all boils down to the infrastructure. How many fans can they get in? Can we, ho can we host 100,000? You know, can we, can, we can we put up the food and beverage tents? Can we do this? Can we do that? It's not just how tough can we make the course. Because if that were just the conversation, minus the infrastructure, there'd be a lot of courses in this country that could host U.S. Opens. 
that could host PGA championships and, and, you know, so on and so forth. But that's not the conversation. The conversation is, can it be the full package? And it narrows it down personally very quickly to courses that can and cannot host such a thing. Yeah. So it's going to be, we'll see. I hope they don't do some type of five course rotation. Cause then it's just going to become boring. And just, we, we all love to watch like the, the open, the open, like the British open and even the U S open, because it's two tests of golf that brings carnage to both players and, or to all the players in yeah. different aspects of the game. Now I will say, you know, we just shit on the whole five to eight course rota- rotation, but you just mentioned the open championship. Where do we go every year? We go to St. Andrews. We go to Carnoustie. We go to Royal St. Anne's. We go to just newly on the rotation. We went to Royal Portrush. We go, where the hell else do we go? I don't know. I'm at five and I'm already, I'm already out of, I'm out of courses. So I think now granted, I don't know, but I think that the open championship does a really good job of exploiting their like maybe six to seven course rotation. And I think if anybody or anything makes a case for, Hey, here's a really good reason why you only have six to seven course rotation it's the open championship. You don't see them t- testing new, new properties ev- every year. Um, but I think the U S is a little bit different in course architecture. We had a boom in the late nineties, early two thousands, which I think brought a lot of really good courses um, to the country, which I think are being underutilized. So with that being said, you know, 50% here, 50% there. I think it, you, you can make a case for it either way. I personally don't want to see it go five course or six course rotation in the United States for the U S open right now. I just don't, I think there's too many good courses, way too many courses. So way too many. Speaking of good courses, good luck. we got to get to the weekend here. We got to wrap it all up. Uh, where, where are you playing this weekend, man? What, what good course are you playing this weekend? Going back to Riverwinds. We got another, we're starting to do like this Riverwinds Sunday game. And it, it's a lot of fun because the course is always in great shape. I mean, it's along the Delaware River. It's a link style course. So if the wind is whipping that day, you know, it, it puts you to a test. I mean, it's pretty open. Um, you can spray it and get away with it. But if the wind's kicking in, especially when you get on that back nine and when the uh, along along the river, there that especially when you get to that 17th hole, we all know <laughs> that we posted the other day. I mean, it's at most 135 yards downhill and mm. the green's fairly large, but trust me, you miss a lot. I mean, it's funny. Cause when usually when we play the tides, not a, not in it's, you know, it's, it's a low tide mm-hmm. and you can just see balls all over the place <laughs> in the water. <laughs> so Lone survivors. Be, yeah. So it'd be a, uh, it'll be fun. Um, Got to, good group of guys playing as always it's always a good time because you know we go out play right in the morning finish up and it's like kind of in this community center where like the clubhouse is and like the course is kind of like across the street mm-hmm. afterwards we just go under this pavilion we just crack we got certain guys get designated each week to bring a cooler of beer uh, or <laughs> sodas and that bring some drinks and kind of just like 
sit back and chill. Like we did it on Labor Day and it was a lot of fun because the one guy ordered like a few pizzas for us and we had, you know, I guess you can say like beer nuts and bar snacks, just pretzels and stuff lying around. It, it was a lot of fun. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what it's really all about, but should be good. Um, hopefully I had a <laughs> last week I shot even par on the front and then basically shot bogey off on the back. So let's see if I can Aye. put two good two together so we'll see what happens but well there you go man it's one I'm, of those things where i got faith in you, you yeah you'll put something together we'll you see know. we'll see what happens how about uh down in the uh, eastern shore area we got a game going or I, I tell you what i don't know if if so much a game um but it's been a long time since i've gotten a full weekend to play with my pops uh finally he's coming up uh my my mom and dad are you know living the retirement dream down in tennessee right now they're living the lake life down there and uh they're coming up through and and uh spending the weekend up here in ocean city so my dad and i are getting out saturday morning at lighthouse sound and then getting out sunday morning at uh at glenn riddle on the man of war course so I'm pretty pumped to just uh, to honestly not have a game, but just to, to play some golf with my dad because it's been a while. All this COVID stuff. He's been up in Pennsylvania. I've been down in Maryland. Uh, haven't had a lot of time to to just play golf together. So it'll be one of those weekends where you know what? It'll be me and him in a cart. We'll just shoot the shit, have some good uh, good father son time, and uh, yeah, just enjoy the golf game for what it is. And he's been playing some good golf lately, so he he keeps chirping me, think thinking he can. Uh, thinking he can beat my butt a little bit. So there might be a little wager on the side, which uh, I'm sure I'll keep the fans in tuned in with. Yeah, throw it down. Put the pressure on him. Hey, Pop, Pops gets the pressure just like everybody else. Believe you and me, I don't take it easy on the old man. He may be retired, but he don't get the easy slip from me. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome, guys. Well, if you're looking to follow along with us uh, through the weekend, Dante out at Riverwinds, myself down on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, uh, head out to Instagram at EnjoyTheWalkPod. Give us a follow there. Give us a follow at EnjoyTheWalkPod on Twitter as well. You guys can find all the latest news, whether it's our podcast, whether it's our blogs, whether it's just what we're doing out in the golf industry, uh, our takes on the golf industry or whatever it is. You guys can follow along there as well as www.EnjoyTheWalkPod.com. Um, we're running a small release of these uh, Enjoy the Walk Patriotic t-shirts and hats. So guys, take a look at them. Uh, we'll probably put them on sale here a little bit after Labor Day. So be on the lookout for that. Um, the summer's over, Dante. What do you think about that? Uh, it sucks. It went by too fast. Everybody's minds are twisted because of COVID set, set you back like two or three months. So it's like everybody's mindset's like, all right, it's summertime. Cool. Cause kind of things are opening up, mm -hmm. but then you look and you're sitting there thinking, oh shit, it's not because October is a month away. I feel like we Halloween. got launched in the summer in like late July, early Full August. Swing. And then all of a sudden, kabam, September. <laughs> yup. Pretty much. It went by. It flew. It's crazy. So, I'll be honest, yeah. though, man. I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy a little fall golf. I enjoy a little fall ball, as other people could tell it. And I'm a huge fan of quarter zip season. I'll tell you what. I, I, always, kind of, fought my dad because he always complained. I hate summer. I hate summer. I was like, man, I love summer. It's hot all the time. It's great. Like no cool weather, whatnot. This is great. You know what? I'm turning and going with him the summer in our area sucks because of just how sticky humid it always mm -hmm. is and like the courses don't get a break because the turf is just getting 
so much stress to them because it's so hot during the day, but it doesn't cool down at night for that for like the the water and because you're trying to you like over water because you don't want it to die, but then it rains and then it boils and the, it's just a giant mess. Now like that, this is the per I think the perfect time for golf and perfect weather, just hands down in our area and just like overall is where it hits like 75, 80 in the day and then goes down to 65 at night. Absolutely. dude. It's one of those things too. I, um, I take my, my car out on the drive on beach out in Astique and I'm a member of a couple like Facebook pages out on Astique Island and we all consider it or what they consider it to be local summer. So we, you know, we throw this title local summer. Thank God it's local summer. Uh, basically what it means is from now until like, what is it? You know, it's September 9th now. So now until like end of October, beginning of November, it's usually still like mildly warm. You know, we still see some like 60 degrees and stuff like that, possibly a 70 in there. And we still get our beach time in, you know, all of us locals that live on the shore here can still get our beach time in. It's not 90 degrees, but it's still like 70s, sometimes high 60s, which at the end of the day, you throw a little, you know, long sleeve shirt on. It's pretty, uh, pretty enjoyable day out there. Yeah, dude, it's great. It's crazy when you wake up, you got to roll out with maybe a pair of pants or, or even a pullover. And within like the first two holes, it pullovers off. Shedding it. You gone. It's hot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's the I only negative side about that fact because it's like, oh man, it's chilly. And then within seconds, it like heats. Right if you forget up. to layer and you just put on the long sleeves, you're screwed for the day. You're going to be sweating all day long. Been there, done that. You and me both. But all right, man, that's it for us this week. You guys can go enjoy your uh, your weekend games wherever they're at. If you're walking, if you're pushing a push cart, pull cart, whatever you call it, tag us. Let us know where you're at. Let us know where you're enjoying the walk this weekend. Add Enjoy the Walk Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you guys can, uh, like I said, tag us there and uh, show us where you're playing this weekend. We'd love to see. We'd love to interact with you. And uh, if we really enjoy it, we might we might just feature you on the Instagram. Uh, check us out, guys, www.enjoythewalkpod.com for all the latest merch. That's it from us this week. Check us out on Tuesday. Carry your clothes and enjoy the walk, guys. Shannon.